Our best days aren't in yesteryear. Our best days aren't 30 years ago. Our best days are just in front of us in Jesus' name. If you're at Luke 24, say amen. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, it'll be on the screen. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. I've come this morning to simply bring a testimony. I've come this morning to testify. See, a testimony is the story of all that God has done for you. A testimony is, is really a retelling of the things that God has done in your life. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you can testify that I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, you can say and testify, I've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've been healed or if God has provided for you, you can give a testimony. It is your story. It is a retelling of what the Lord has done. But now a testimony is far more than just a retelling or a story of what God has done. It is also a declaration of faith where you position yourself by your words to declare what God is going to do for you. So it's more than just the story of the past. It is a declaration of the present that will bring me into my future. So I've come this morning to testify and tell you that we serve a risen Savior. We serve a victorious Savior. We serve a glorious Savior. We serve a loving, merciful Savior. So I've come to testify that because he lives, a better day is coming. Easter or Resurrection Sunday celebrates the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've assembled in this beautiful sanctuary today to celebrate an empty tomb. Let me allow the scriptures to testify a little bit this morning. The tomb is empty. The Lord Jesus has risen from the dead and he is alive forevermore. We serve a living Savior. Jesus testifies himself in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. In Mark chapter 16 verses 5 through 7 the empty tomb testifies. And entering the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. I've recently been teaching on the future of our church and we, we've just titled it South Greenwood 2.0. And we're believing that our second century of ministry is going to be greater than our first century of ministry. We've been casting a new vision and declaring these words by faith. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. 
But I've come this morning with a simple Easter message. And it's simply this, a better day is coming. You see, the death, burial, and resurrection ensure that our standing with God is strong and secure. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Today we rejoice. We rejoice because the empty tomb ensures that you have a future. Jesus died to give you both a future and a hope. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. In Romans 15, 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you here today have an uncertain future. You've been the recipient of bad news. You've got things going on in your life and the future looks bleak. But I've come this morning with good news. Anybody can stand some good news. See, you can get good news in the house of God. But I've come with good news the empty tomb testifies that a better day is coming. Turn to your neighbor and say, a better day is coming. See, Jesus went to the cross to provide you hope for tomorrow. I don't know what kind of pain you may be experiencing in your heart today, but this one thing I know, there is healing available for the broken heart because of an empty tomb. Listen to the very words of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oppression is that heavy weight, that pressure that you feel. That pressure that comes from the enemy that pulls you down, that discourages you. It's a spirit of heaviness. And he says this, I've come to set at liberty those who've been oppressed by the enemy, pressed down by the enemy. Here's what we do. We exchange the weight of the enemy's oppression for the weight of God's glory. Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come on, somebody. God has a burden that is light for us today. There are many who wish that they could have lived in the days when Jesus performed his mighty miracles on the earth. He healed the sick. He raised the dead to life again. He restored sight to the blind. And he opened the hearts of humanity to receive eternal life. Those were wonderful days, but I believe the days that we're living in are the greatest of days to live. You say, oh, but if I could have been with Jesus, if I could have seen him when he stood in that graveyard, and they rolled the stone away from the tomb. And he called Lazarus by name. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. If I could have experienced that, if I could have seen that, I believe the days we live in are the greatest of days. John 14, 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Don't allow your present circumstances to define your tomorrow. Say that again. Don't allow your present circumstances to define your tomorrow. We serve a big God. We serve a big God. And he has the best for you. I believe there's a better day coming. We could be the generation who experiences the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could be the ones who hear the trumpet sound and the shout that comes. We could be the ones who see the dead in Christ rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up and we shall ever be with the Lord. 
These are great days to be alive. This morning, I want to speak to you about what the empty tomb guarantees. I want to talk to you about what Easter really means. What does it mean? It means there's a better day coming. So I want to look at Luke's account of the resurrection in the gospel that bears his name. First of all, I want you to note there's an angelic proclamation. Luke 14, verses 2 through 5. Now on the first day of the week, early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it happens that they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Many are seeking the living among the dead. They're trying to find happiness, trying to find security in things that only have the ability to produce death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Now, sin's pleasurable for a season. Sin can bring you pleasure for a little while. But after a while, that pleasure turns to bondage. And anything that's of sin puts us into bondage, and it ultimately brings death. When Adam and Eve sinned, death started working in their, their physical bodies. Up until that time, they were covered by God's glory. But the Bible said that when they sinned, they realized they were naked. And they were afraid. Fear came into the scene. They brought shame into the scene. Sin always does irreparable harm. And it results in death. But I didn't come today to talk about death. I came today to talk about life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. See, many are looking for the living among the dead. But Easter celebrates a resurrection. He rose from the dead so that you could find life in its highest expression. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that you might have life. That word life in the Greek is the word zoe. It means the God kind of life. And have it more abundantly. He could read it this way and it wouldn't do any damage to the text. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest measure. I want to tell you, life to the fullest measure is knowing Jesus and all his fullness and coming into your destiny and realizing all that God has for you. See, we serve a God of an abundance. Listen, he's not a God of lack. They're not running a deficit. They might be running a deficit in Washington, but there's no deficit in heaven. He's a God of abundance. And his desire for you today is to live an overcoming life of victory. The empty tomb is your guarantee from God that you can experience this abundant life. The empty tomb is Christianity's greatest testimony. It ensures our redemption from sin, from sickness, and eternal separation from God. Do you know that many religions around the world today make pilgrimages to the tombs of their fallen leaders? Around the world, people make pilgrimages to the tombs of their fallen leaders. I've got to tell you that I've been to the tomb and there's, no, there's nothing there. It's empty. In Iran, you can travel to the tomb of the Muslim holy man, the Ayatollah Khomeini. Millions make pilgrimages every year and stand around their, his grave and beat their chest as an act of grief. In North Korea today, you can go and see the grandfather and the father of the present leader that's there, the Kim family. They have them preserved under glass in the great palace in the hall of the people. And you can go and you can see their dead bodies. I've come to tell you that we're not here today 
to do a memorial for the Lord Jesus Christ who has died and in the grave. We've come today to declare that he's alive and he's alive forevermore. Hallelujah. In Moscow, Russia, you can enter into a building there at the Kremlin that contains the remains of the avowed atheists. When you see the May Day parades and Vladimir Putin or whoever the leaders of Russia are, they will stand up on a platform and they will watch as all the military armies will go by and they'll have their military parade. They're standing on the tomb of Lenin. Listen, their government is built on a foundation of death. But I've come to tell you today, the government of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built on a foundation of life. He is alive and alive forevermore. And not only that, he has the keys of hell and death in his hand we serve a risen savior hallelujah so when I go out and I talk to people about Jesus I'm not offering them some some religious form or religious creed I'm not telling them about a dead uh, leader I'm telling them about a living savior that can come into their heart come into their life transform their very being he can forgive them of their sins give them peace with God and make them ready for heaven today hallelujah The originator of a new religion came to the great French diplomat statesman, Charles Maurice de Talleyrand, and he complained that he could not make any converts. He said, what would you suggest I do? He asked, I should recommend, said Talleyrand, that you get yourself crucified, then die, but be sure to rise again the third day. See, Christianity stands on the resurrection. In our travels to England, we've been into the great cathedrals. There in Westminster in London is the Westminster Abbey. It's where royal weddings and all kinds of things take place. When you go in there, all through that abbey, there are graves in the floor. There are graves and there are prayer chapels that are built in that great cathedral. And and they'll have the grave and they'll have a prayer chapel there at the grave. Just last week, Beth and I went into what's called Yorkminster. It's in York, Yorkshire. It's one of the largest counties in, in England. And York is a medieval city that was really founded by, we think, the Vikings. The medieval walls are still there. And you go into that ancient cathedral there. And all through that cathedral were graves. And I told my wife, I said, this place is more about death, it seems to me, than it is about life. I want to tell you something. We serve a risen living savior today he's alive forevermore if we were to travel to a to a mountainous city in a small middle eastern country the name of that city is jerusalem jerusalem the city of peace we could visit a garden tomb i think i have a picture up there of the tomb it is called the garden tomb or gordon's calvary what would we find We would find that the proclamation of the angels is the same today as it was in the gospel account of Luke. Why seek you the living among the dead? Why seek you the living among the dead? And in that serene garden, there's a tiled plaque that reads, it says, Jesus Christ declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Those are pictures that Beth and I made as we journeyed through that garden. I want to tell you, there was no evidence of death there. The tomb was empty. Why seek you the living among the dead? You can follow a dead God if you want to. You can follow a dead religious leader if you want to. But I've come to tell you today that the God we serve, 
the Savior we know, the one we love, he's alive forevermore. There was a conversation between a Christian missionary and a Muslim that illustrates a great point. The Muslim wanted to impress the missionary with what he considered to be the superiority of the religion of Islam. So he said, when we go to Mecca, actually Medina, we at least find a coffin. But when you Christians go to the city of Jerusalem, your Mecca, you find nothing but an empty grave. To this, the believer replied, that is just the difference. Muhammad is dead and in his coffin. And all other systems of religion and philosophy are in their coffins. But Christ is risen. And all power in heaven and on earth is given to him. He is alive forevermore. There's an angelic announcement. Secondly, there's an empty cross that testifies there's a better day coming. A few years ago, I met a man. He's a missionary to China. And the government there in China would allow him at that time come into China and build churches. They didn't have a problem with him building churches, but they told him, you cannot put a cross on that church. The cross is offensive. To some, it's a stumbling block. To some, it's an offense. Why? Because the empty cross testifies there's a better day coming. The two important words that sum up the greatest event the world has ever known, the cross. The cross is important because it provided, number one, the assurance of God's unbelievable love, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Number two, the cross broke the stranglehold of sin in our lives, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Number three, the cross liberates us from the fear of death. In the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we see the truth about what the Christian life can be. Genuine love, sacrifice, and victory. As important as the cross is to human history and Christianity, it's not the end of the story. It's not the final chapter. It stands today as a testimony. What is that testimony? There's a better day coming. On Good Friday, we find him on a cross. We find his mother at the foot of the cross. It's Friday. She's weeping. She's crying for her son. He says to the apostle John, all the others had fled. He says, behold my mother. In other words, you take care of my mother. And there at the foot of the cross, it's Friday. It looks dark, but Sunday's coming. The disciples have fled. They have run away. They're in hiding. They're confused. They're bewildered. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. He was suffering in untold agony for humanity's sin, but Sunday's coming. It might be Friday in your life right now. You may have be bewildered and confused. You may be bound by the sin that Jesus came to defeat. And I love the words that we find in the latter part of 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. It may be Friday in your life right now, but hold on because Sunday's coming. Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem fallen humanity back to God. He was born of a virgin. He lived 33 and one half years, and then he died on a rugged old tree on a lonely hillside. These are all great events, but they were not enough. They simply point to the greatest event of all, the resurrection, which testifies today there is a better day coming. Some will stay stuck on Friday, but I've come to tell you that Friday will pass 
and Sunday's coming, hallelujah, which means there's a resurrection on the horizon. While Jesus was on the cross, those who were closest to him were bewildered and afraid, and they hid away, not realizing that a better day was coming. And according to the scriptures, Jesus had to die. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. He died in our place. He became our substitute. He answered the penalty for our sinful condition. He became our sin offering. My friend, it was there on a lonely hillside called Mount Calvary that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, hanged, bled, suffered, and died. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, the apostle John records the last words Jesus uttered. He said, it is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. But it did not end there. Why? Because there's a better day coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's on the way. It's Friday, and he's crying, it is finished. And he yielded up the ghost, and he died. The King James Version said, but Sunday's on the way. It may look bleak. It may look dark. You might be in pain. You might be in a place of hurt right now. But I've come to tell you, God has scheduled a Sunday on your calendar where he's going to come and raise you up. And he's going to resurrect you in this hour and in this time. Why? Because there's a better day coming. Why did Jesus have to die? So that he could be raised from the dead to fulfill the scriptures. Do you know the scriptures tell us his body didn't decay? Listen. If you die and nobody finds you for three days, there's going to be a stench. You remember Lazarus? Jesus was four days late, but he was right on time. They said he's been in the grave four days. Jesus' body didn't decay. He's in the grave. Saturday comes. He's still in the grave. But Sunday comes. And he's alive forevermore. See, it's at the cross where our sins were defeated. His blood was shed preparing a way for you to be saved and redeemed from sin and death. We could stop there, but the cross is not the final chapter. There's a better day coming. On one occasion, Michelangelo turned to his fellow artists and said with frustration in his voice, why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures on the one theme of Christ in weakness? Christ on the cross, and most of all, Christ hanging dead. Why do you concentrate on the passing episode as if it were the last work, as if the curtain dropped down there on disaster and defeat. That dreadful scene lasted only a few hours. But to the unending eternity, Christ is alive. Christ rules and reigns and triumphs. The empty cross is a testimony that a better day is coming. But that's not the end of the story. There's also an empty tomb. The tomb testifies of his second coming. For three days, the body of our Messiah lay in a borrowed tomb. In 1994, Beth and I lost our first child, a little boy, full term, eight pounds, five ounces. We still, to this day, don't have an answer as to why that happened. Instead of bringing home a baby, we were planning a funeral. The doctors gave her permission to go to the funeral. We had it on a Friday. Went to the hospital on a Monday to come home with a child. And on Friday, we were having a funeral. Little church we packed. Pastor was packed out, and we were going to have a funeral on that day. But I want to tell you, that little boy is waiting on me in heaven. Glory. And we buried him. I went to the funeral home. I picked out the little casket. I went to Belt at the Anderson Mall and bought him an outfit and found a dress that would match his outfit. 
If you notice, we're matching today. Beth likes to match. And she said, just once, I'd like to match my baby. And the, the clerks were so moved by what had happened that they, they paid for the outfit and the dress. Can't tell you how God poured out love in that situation. See, it might be Friday, but Sunday's coming. And in the midst of your Friday, God will be faithful at Friday. And I remember we went down and I bought the, the little grave. It's a little place called Babyland. And there are all kinds of babies' graves there. And there have been many more since our baby. And they have what they call perpetual care, which means that they have a trust fund set up and that they will take care of that funeral home or that cemetery long after we're gone. They'll cut the grass. They'll make sure that things are kept up. It's called perpetual care. But I want you to notice in the scriptures, there's no mention of perpetual care. He's in a borrowed tomb. Glory. In reality, if you know the Lord, they can say perpetual care all you want to. But we only need it for a little while because there's coming a sound of a trumpet and the shout of the archangel. And we're going to rise up from that grave one day. Hallelujah. I'd like to be down there in Forest Lawn when that happens. The religious rulers, the scribes, the Pharisees had Pilate depose Roman soldiers at the tomb to ensure nothing would happen. Can I testify a little bit this morning? On that first Easter Sunday morning, the king of glory. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the first begotten Son of the Father, the Lily of the Valley, the bright and morning star, the eternal I Am. He stepped out of the grave victorious over death, hell, and the grave. The Roman soldiers guarding the tomb could not prevent his resurrection. The temple guards that were posted could not prevent his resurrection. The very forces of hell itself could not hold him. Death could not defeat him. He said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. But I want you to know that's not the end of the story. He lived, he died, he arose, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Where is the risen Savior today? Well, we learn in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13 through 18, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice, as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead but he laid his right hand on me saying to me do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. That's not the end of the story because he promises us and the empty tomb testifies that Jesus is coming back again. We learn in Hebrews that he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession. His present day ministry is a ministry of priesthood and he's praying for us today. Then in Acts chapter 1 verse 9 it says, And when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. He had a miraculous birth. He lived a miraculous life. He died a miraculous death. He had a miraculous resurrection and a miraculous ascension. But that's not the end of the story. There is a promise. The empty tomb testifies that he's coming back again. Listen to Acts chapter 1 verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heavens? This same Jesus. Hallelujah. Listen, he's not sending Elijah, Moses, Elisha, or Joseph. He's not sending an Old Testament patriarch. It won't be Peter, Paul, John. 
It won't be Andrew. It'll be the Lord himself. The Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. You men of Galilee, this same Jesus who was taken up from you will so come again in like manner, and you will see him. And then he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said that the last trump, the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised up. This corruption shall put on incorruption. This mortality shall put on men's mortality. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I've come by to tell you that the empty tomb testifies that Jesus is is coming back again glory that's why I can say there's a better day coming in this world there'll be wars and rumors of wars strife pestilence earthquakes there'll be hardships and difficulties but we look beyond this world and we look beyond the circumstances of this world and we look up into the celestial city of God and we realize that we have a destiny with God that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth again hallelujah I've come to tell you that the empty tomb is a testimony that God is faithful that he keeps his promises and he's coming back again. The apostle Peter wrote this. He said in the last days scoffers would come and they'd say where's the promise of his coming? Listen, I'm 55 years old. July will be 56. I've been in ministry for a long time. I've grown up in the church and all my life I've heard the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. I can remember in a watch night prayer meeting in a little church one night. I was sitting on the back pew and I remember a lady, her name was Becky Jordan. I'll never forget it. She got up in that prayer meeting. She said to the pastor, I believe this is the year the Lord's coming back. I never believed that I'd ever live to see the year 2000. I never believed that I'd live to graduate high school. I believe the Lord was coming. But here I am all these years later, and he hasn't come. I could say, well, that's just a fable. That was just something that older people told us young people to keep us in line. But I'm convinced that the word of God is true and that he's coming back. What are the signs of his coming? There are many in the Bible, but one of the signs of his coming is there will be an outpouring of God's spirit in the last day. There's about to be an outpouring of God's spirit unprecedented across this world to get the church of Jesus Christ ready for the greatest event yet on the calendar. And that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mock, scoff, be an unbeliever, but I'm convinced that he's coming back and the empty tomb tells us there's a better day coming.